Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers. A podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Oh, awesome. We have delicious local food from La Express. Today, we're speaking with Hugh Piney and John Leckick. They're the owners and operators of La Express Bistro and Bar and Food Truck, based in Poughkeepsie, New York. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having us. So we wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about food trucks today. They're getting more popular in our area, along with all over the place. Um, We've never had an inside look at any of them. We just see them from the outside and enjoy the food from them. So if you guys could give us a sort of an insider's take on what food trucks are all about. They're all different. Each food truck is customized. The one that we have, you know, it has a, a, a full-size grill. We have a stove, uh, two burners. Uh, we have a fryer. Then we have a two refrigerated units, you know, for the holding the food. We have a small freezer. And then we can do additional things like a panini grill. We can do a, a soup kettle and things like that. You can always add on a conventional oven if necessary, depending on what you're doing. But they really focus you. They focus you on on a few dishes that you want to execute. The food trucks are more compact. Restaurants, you're dealing with two, three hundred ingredients at the same time, any given day. But a food truck, you're doing, I would say, minimum three to four. Eight to nine dishes is the maximum I would do in a food truck. Catering is another aspect. If you're using a food truck as a equipment, you know, as a, a commissary, commissary for catering. Without a doubt. I Which mean, I love I think to do that, too. The thing with chefs and that I've noticed, I've been in the business now 20 years, if you give a chef enough room, they will take more. <laughs> so when you, co- when you... And it's a bizarre and rather remarkable thing. You can give them a 200-square-foot kitchen and they will use 210 feet. You give them a 2,000-square-foot kitchen and they will want 2,500 square feet. So <laughs> it gets them to concentrate. It gets them to be quite nimble. I mean, there's a restaurant in Poughkeepsie that literally their kitchen is small smaller than our food truck. And they have two of the largest chefs I've ever seen. How they work <laughs> with each other. I mean, and it seems to be, I mean, yes, we like our chefs skinny um, <laughs> because they're working in a food truck. But then again, it also yeah. says something about the food they eat. Yeah. Which yeah. We, we can have four people work the food truck inside, you know, at a given time. That would be the comfortable and efficient number. But I have to say, uh, we have done, for example, Millbrook Winery. Last fall, we have done an event. It was 60 guests. And it's a beautiful uh, winery and a barn, but they don't have a kitchen. They don't have any, any amenities. Everything has to be brought in. And it was incredible. Every, everyone thought there was a full-fledged restaurant there, yeah. how smooth and how quick and how well everything went. We did a, an hour of d'oeuvres. We had six different choices. And then we had a, a local uh, organic salad, and we had a wild Alaskan salmon. I get my salmon from Sitka, Alaska, <laughs> directly from a fisherman, 24 hours. Wow, oh, that's awesome. We had a local uh, bone-in short ribs, which were delicious. And for vegetarians, we made a house-made uh, pumpkin ravioli with the... Uh, no, butternut squash ravioli with the brown butter and sage. And then we had a, a different selection of desserts. And it was excellent with a food truck. Wow. I think you know the development of food trucks in general has come from the old Sabret's hot dog 
trucks, you know. <laughs> and we're actually yeah. doing uh, a bunch of different things at the walkway in Poughkeepsie. Um, and That's we a beautiful were, place. It's a fantastic place. And nobody thought it was going to explode the way it has. I mean, it's remarkable. Uh, it's and the, we're amazing. basically building a food court there with the various different trucks. And, of course, there was the lady who's had the Sabret hot dog truck in Hyde Park for the last, I don't know, 30 years. And they said, well, we want you to use uh, recyclables wherever you can. And she was like, I just bought all these polystyrene plates. And I was like, <laughs> honey, you got to ditch those. It's not going to happen. But we almost sort of nod in respect. She's been doing this for 30 or 40 years. And she's been a food truck lady all this time. So she's now worked out that life is changing for her. So all of the, all of, you know, the polystyrene plates and cups she has, sorry, they're going in the basement, sweetheart, especially <laughs> when you're on the walkway. And it, what we're exposing people to in a weird way, we're, we're not trying to proselytize. We're trying to say, educate them about their food. And I know that's a, a horrible thing to say. You know, you don't want your waiter coming up to you in a restaurant and giving you a masterclass on, you know, where the chicken comes from. But what we try and do is understand that this is important to us. You know, we don't use the big industrial agribusiness companies. We use local farms, local farmers. Uh, back to the chicken. Uh, this is one of my passion of mine. Uh, I love the heirloom uh, breed of chickens. And because what we have in industrial, in, in the stores right now, it's very different from what we used to have 50, 60, 80 years ago. Mm. So there's uh, Glenwood Farms in a, in a Cold Spring. You know, it's a, it's a local farm. And they raise about a thousand chickens a year, which is uh, a minuscule number. Yeah. So what we did with them, uh, we are getting uh, Orlov. Orlov, it's an ancient breed that originated in Persia. It was grown in Germany and Russia, and they can get uh, large up to nine pounds. But they're not grown industrially for mass production. You cannot get them in Whole Foods. You cannot go and Google it and order them online to be delivered to your home. You gotta find somebody who has chicks and you got to raise them yourself. And we did that. We are subsidizing that. We are working with the Glenwood Farms and they're going to raise 200 chickens for us this year. We found somebody who has the breed uh, upstate and the, uh, the Glenwood will be using uh, organic feed. It's going to be very, very expensive, but I'm very <laughs> passionate about that. Yeah. And as a you know, side, something that's yeah, different. It does make a huge yeah. difference. And as a sideline, I'm going to have a bunch of pillows for sale. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. <laughs> <laughs> no so I have a question in regard to when we were talking about the food trucks and you said if you give a chef 200 square feet, they would use 210. Do you think that having those limits and say maybe only being able to offer six or eight dishes, does that allow the chef to really get more creative or it, do you think that it's more of a, a I, hindrance? I think it does. Because it focuses the chef. So mm -hmm. you, you can't do 20 or 30 things now. You have to focus and you have to do a few. And then you're more concentrated. And because of that, you get it right. It's, you know, a lot of people say, well, it must be really hard to be a caterer because I, I run the catering side of our, our operation. And I always say to people, you know, when you go into a restaurant, if there's six of you, theoretically, you could have six different dishes, six different salads, six different soups, six different entrees, six different desserts, which involve probably 200 different items. Whereas in catering, if you order chicken and beef, let's just use that, you've got to get it right once and the rest flows together. The chicken is perfect the first time. Don't change it. Just stay with it. So it's mm -hmm. easier to mass produce 
for a catering environment than it is, and the food truck is definitely a catering environment as far as we're concerned. So if you get it right, if the sources are correct, if the you know the timing and temperature of the meats and the fish are fine, then you you just stay with that process. It's it's better food, it's more consistent, you know, because it's really hard to do in a restaurant environment because, as I say, you've got so many potential moving parts and everybody has a specific taste environment that they're looking for. So if you say an all-off chicken, they have to understand what they're eating. Mm -hmm. And I know food shouldn't be a bad education, but it is becoming more and more important to us. Well, I think more and more people are concerned about where their food is coming from. We're concerned more about our health Mm -hmm. and things that are genetically modified versus things that are not. We're just... Um, Rightfully so. I mean, with all the changes that have happened in the past few decades, it's concerning. But I think this is why people want to know this information, especially like myself. I'm a parent. You know, having a young child, I want to know where her food's coming from because you never know how that may impact her in the future or impact me in the future. Because I remember you saying earlier on the Vox Pop episode about food being medicine and medicine being food. And it was interesting because medicine started off as food and it was synthesized and turned into tablets. So this whole idea of being educated about what we're putting in our body is something that I won't say it's new, but I feel like it's having a resurgence. A I think it's we've come full circle. We've yes. come from this idea of almost like the witch doctor uh, <laughs> to it's rather than just now, then for a long while, the doctor told you and the doctor said, it's fine to smell. You used to see pictures of doctors with a Marlboro in their hand because mm-hmm. it, they were being paid by that agribusiness, the tobacco business. And now we're, we're getting back in a weird way to a grassroots idea of the food is medicine and medicine is food, especially, as you say, you have a small child, it's drastically important that we don't give them junk. And it's very hard to avoid. It's very hard to avoid. I'm in the food business. I own the restaurant, I own the food trucks. And my starting point is very simple. I want to serve what I want to eat. And I'm a little bit picky in that way. Yes, you're right. (laughs) You can be. (laughs) Grant, you know, you should be able to go to a store and anything in a store, you know, that's sold as food should be food and you should not think about it twice and you should just buy anything there. But I don't think it's that way anymore. In follow-up to that, John, the problem you have is the expense. Good food tends to be more expensive. Uh, Hormone-free is more expensive Mm -hmm. than stuff with hormones in it. The absurd Tyson chicken breasts that you but see we, in the we, store. We, we, it's education also. It I, I, I think I think that's that's a, definitely an obstacle. And that's something that should be discussed at, a, at yeah. a culinary schools, you know, with the young students. You know, you should challenge their minds. How can we rise to this challenge? It's not a, it's, it's not a simple subject. But I think, you know, uh, Alice Waters and Jamie Oliver, they have done a lot of things in California with education. And with the school gardens, I think we have to do that also in New York, in Hudson Valley. Uh, the way we do things, the way we do things at home, you know, cooking at home, that's the problem. No, no one is cooking at home. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I'm a big proponent of is stew. You can do a delicious stews with organic meat and organic vegetables. And you know what, too? They don't have to be expensive. No, they don't have <laughs> to know? be expensive. You, you're right. No. But no, if a you're lot doing of it, it like you know, that, no. The other issue, though, is time. You're a working mother. Uh, with this, how old is your child? Seven. Seven. 
So a seven-year-old, they don't take much time, do they, really? I mean, they just go to bed when you tell them. They do their homework when you tell them. They don't want to play outside, even though it's raining or dark. We have time constraints. We all appear to have less time to do the more important things. Mm-hmm. Eating together has been a primal thing for years and years and millions of years. You know, we, we sat in a cave with an, you know, a dead ox on the ground and uh, warmed ourselves around a big piece of meat. We've eaten together. And we do less of that now, I think. And it's very important. Yeah to get back to those basics. And Johnny, you're absolutely right. In the winter, we eat heavier foods and stews and casserole, and you don't have to buy expensive food. It can just be home-cooked and sit around the table instead of the cave. There's a lot of psychology about that, eating together, too, just for well-being, not Mm -hmm. always food-wise, but mind-wise. Eating together is very important. Yeah, this is one thing that I enjoy being in a restaurant business. The assembly, you know, everybody comes together. There's this communal spirit. It's wonderful, you know, Mm -hmm. social aspect is is, is great, you know. It's a gathering place. It's not just a place where you can get a glass of wine or a drink. And you also then, when you look at the other side of the coin, you have... That's the beauty of it. Yeah, you have chefs and waitstaff who are working when you're enjoying yourself and relaxing, <laughs> which is why I love restaurants, because I've been on both sides of the, you know, that conundrum in a weird way, that you've got these people who are definitely sociopaths. I mean, chefs are, <laughs> chefs are sociopaths. They don't want to be where, you know, are, we've all are. seen the Anthony Bourdain uh, kind of, you know, craziness that is chefdom. And I tip my hat to the men and women who are on that in the kitchen, you know, looking after you, making sure you're happy. It doesn't have to be that way. It I doesn't mean, have to. You know, you, you have to get, <laughs> Calm, you know. Yeah. You, you can always, you know, even in the, at the heat of the moment, you know, when everything when you're very busy, mm-hmm. you can still. If it's a teamwork, it's yeah. There is a lot of camaraderie, and yes. uh, and to you know, we all sit there and assume that everybody else is enjoying themselves because we're having a lovely meal. But you know, you have to realize these people are taking time out of their lives. But then, you know, for chef and owners like John. It's the joy of working with the farmers and and letting them know what their food, where their food is going, who's getting their food, interacting with them, you know, because it's a big, much bigger idea, I think, now than it used to be. We would eat food that was given to us and we didn't complain about food and we didn't have opinions about food. I mean, I knew, I can tell you what I had to eat on every Wednesday. My mother was a terrible cook, which is probably why I like being a good cook. But we would have the same meals every day of my life. And uh, when I was a, a small child living at home, and we, I sit down with my brother and sisters, and we talk about this. God, that awful casserole she used to make. And, you know, and it was, But even then, it was enjoyable to th- reminisce about that kind of experience. I mean, I think most food is familial. We remember it from, you know, yeah. there'll be a smell or a taste that will remind us of our childhood that's the best food yeah, yeah. it is except if your mother my mother was cooking you know? <laughs> although she did she did take a dessert class we would have these horrible greasy casseroles and these incredible oh, desserts and as a child that's that the important part. that was the important part of it yeah well, i wonder about the audience that comes to the food trucks and has it changed a lot in the last couple of years it's, are people expecting more because when I think of food trucks before the last couple of years, I would just think of greasy hot dogs mm-hmm. like the Sabret. Yeah. But now yeah. I, it's just it, it's, wide it's open. Changing. It's changing. And this is still new. So we are basically setting the standards. I, I think I'm a little bit innovative also, the way I'm approaching to this. Most of the food trucks operators you know, start with the food trucks. I have started with restaurant and then acquired the food truck. And to me, it's just a 
great big toe. It's so much fun. It's so much fun. <laughs> and uh, does it get really hot in there? It does. In summertime, it, it has can, a window, you know? but it's it's okay. It's all manageable. It's not terrible. You know, we have you know, so it's fine. And there's but all it, kinds of food trucks, Johnny. We went to a yeah. we went to a meeting because the walkway over the Hudson yeah, has true. been encouraging food trucks to join them this year, and. And it was just like it was every restaurant you go to. There are different characters, different people doing different things. The whole idea was not to have duplication. And it was really fascinating, people's experience with food trucks. They had been working really hard and driving hundreds and hundreds of miles all over the state of New York. Now, I think four out of the seven producers are in Poughkeepsie. And so it's like, oh, my God. I don't have to get up at four in the morning. I can get up at <laughs> nine in the morning. I can drive to the, you know, it, it, was, it was a lovely experience being with these so people. So give me a little bit of example. Like for, we, we make our own house-made ravioli. Last ravioli I've done on the food truck, the real ravioli uh, made with the wild hive flour. Now that's all organic, non-GMO, from uh, Red Hook, New York, all New York grain, the mill is there. Mario Batali uses it for his own pasta. So we made our ravioli and we made it in a truffle mushroom sauce. That's fun. Another pasta we did was uh, a cavatelli, a shell pasta made of ricotta, uh, same flour, and that's done with a pheasant ragout. And this is, is really in a great. food truck. Oh. Yeah. And this is so, a so food truck. Delicious. Or, or, or pork belly with the uh, with the uh, huckleberries and pork farm reduction and Poughkeepsie microgreens. Yeah. Now Poughkeepsie microgreens, that's fun, you know, right on the main street. Brad Hodgkins, uh, he just opened maybe a year ago, and uh, it's this office building that was converted to you know production for microgreens. Who would and have thought? <laughs> and it's amazing. I love that. You know, inner city. You know, agriculture. Mm -hmm. You know, urban. You know, it's 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 wonderful. I love these ideas, and I think it's you know young people are very interested. We need to emphasize that. You know, we need to bring them to the farms. We need to show them what the farmers are doing. And it, it needs to connect. Well, it's much more. It could. It's much could. more a conversation now, though, John, isn't yeah. it? Between the farmers, the growers of the various different products we use, uh, the chefs that we utilize from the CIA or wherever, and the consumer. It's a conversation rather than this is the food we're going to give you, and you're accepted, and this is the food that the growers are going to grow because that's what they've all done. I mean, in the last 20 years since I've been in the Hudson Valley, we've seen apple orchards decrease in size, but these some of these farmers are now growing tomatillos. They're growing things that they had never even experienced. And they come back to us year after year and say, you know what, I'm going to tear out a few more trees. What do you want me to grow? Because there's enough apples in the Hudson Valley. Maybe not yeah. this year because of the frost. Yeah. But, but, you know, it, it's, yeah. it's a this changing conversation. With the, with the frost. But with apples, for example, you know, as again, you can influence a small farmer. Up here, the climate for the apples, you need to use a lot of pesticides. But the farmers are realizing that there's a huge market for organic. And I know a lot of farmers that, that now they're doing the orchards without any pesticides. And to me, one thing as a public, you know, as a consumers, we have to realize there's a price for everything. The perfect apple. I, I was 14 when I came to the United States, and I remember, you know, going to the grocery store, and I saw these beautiful, shiny, perfect apples. But guess what? I grew up on organic, and they were not so perfect. You know, you would have they you know, blemishes great. and stuff, <laughs> they but great. they tasted excellent. And uh, yeah. to me, you know, the obsession for that perfection you lose, actually, by that. If there is a leaf of colored greens and there's a whole big order against that, mm -hmm. it's fine. I, I would take that any day 
overall perfect, you know, leaf that's, you know, mm-hmm. drenched well, in pesticides. If a leaf hasn't been touched by an insect out on a farm, <laughs> if, yeah. if, the, if the insects won't eat it, it yeah. how, how, <laughs> why should I? <laughs> why should I? <laughs> exactly. No, you're absolutely right. You know? So, so absolutely this is something right. that's very important mm-hmm. for, for us consumers. And it's education. It's, we need to talk about it. We need to, we need to spread the knowledge and, you know, yeah. it will change. Yeah. People say, oh, well, you know, this is more expensive. But when you think about things that you may avoid in regard to eating quality foods without the additional chemicals, pesticides, mm-hmm. what have you, you're saving in medical co-pays. You're mm-hmm. not getting as sick. Absolutely. You know, exactly. so if you think about you're that. You feel good. You live the life. It's and a, it's you're, not, throw, it's the most and you're not throwing away the stuff that spoils so quickly because you're buying more. Whenever you buy a more expensive anything, I think you treat that anything, whether it, whether it's a car, uh, yeah. a head of lettuce, you're going to have that concentrated, oh, my God, that cost me more than I should have spent. <laughs> it, but it, I'm going to make sure I eat it. It's exactly. a Rather than throw it away. It's, it's yep. a way of life. And this as a region, as a Hudson Valley, you know, mm-hmm. like in New York, we can, we can make that statement. We can push the envelope. And we should. You know, when I travel the country and go to other states, farm to table is huge and big. And we have to realize each region can do certain things. We can't have everything. Yeah. We can't grow olives and bananas or other things, <laughs> you know, but uh, we can do some things very well mm-hmm. where we are. And and th- that's important. Yeah. You know, We're that's very important. lucky to live where so, we So, you know, if, if the food doesn't have to travel th- uh, 3,000 miles or, and stay fresh for two months, if you have a local food, that's the way to go forward, you know, to encourage encourage that. Yeah, and there's definitely been an impact because, I mean, if you go to places like local co-ops and Trader Joe's you can see the comparison I remember when I was younger there was a clear price comparison between the organic apple and the Mm -hmm. conventional apple Mm -hmm. now sometimes they're about the same and sometimes they're cheaper it's all about demand it's all about demand that's why with education you know we may criticize you know the whole foods of this world I mean a lot of people call it whole paycheck um, (laughs) because you know but it offers you that option as well. It, I know you shouldn't be going to the supermarket to be educated, but I think an educated consumer is a much better consumer, especially when you're talking about feeding kids. It's, it's mm-hmm. vitally important that we start out on the right track and make sure that we you know, sit down as families together and eat, break bread together. Mm-hmm. Organic spelt bread. Technology course. is changing <laughs> certain things. You know, As I said, I mentioned a company that does, goes to the local farm and distributes to the local restaurant, and it makes it a lot easier. I still go to certain farms. I go to the farmer's market, and I speak to the farmers and I, because I enjoy that. But the distance is, you know, really great to make that feasible to do in general. So when you have a company that, that has 80 farms, and they can just get you the cheese, the meat, the produce, everything packed together and delivered to you on Tuesday, and you can do it in real time, Mm-hmm. It helps you, but this is not only for a restaurant tour now. It helps the for the individual as a consumer. Oh. You didn't have this option before, so so things are changing. Things are changing. This will help the small farms be more profitable, and us as a consumers, you know, we'll be able to do because even the best of the f- markets, you know, it it's nice when you discover a farm. Maybe you'll be able to go once in a month or once a year, but you have an access to pick that particular farm and, mm-hmm. and get it at home and you can get your eggs. You know, I have a preference from which farms I want to source my eggs from or carrots or onions. 
the same ingredient is not equal. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's different. The flavor. I know, you know, I know so, what you mean. I'm so, a little bit of a picky egg eater. I eat <laughs> I eat two no, eggs every morning. I, and every I love morning. Every morning. Good I had some farm fresh eggs, mm -hmm. and I had some eggs that I bought at the grocery store. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because my daughter recently, they incubated eggs, and they hatched and everything. And so somebody at her school, she said, well, Mom, somebody at my school told me we need to make sure we get free-range eggs because the other ones, they're kept in a cage, and they're uncomfortable, mm -hmm. and they can't move around. And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's like, well, let's look at our label and see. And it didn't clearly say on there. So it said organic, but it didn't say free-range. Free. Yeah. yeah. So, and I was like, yeah, I never, I guess I assumed that because it was organic, it was cage-free. And she says, no, no, not at all. So then we had a, a little experiment. I opened two farm fresh eggs and I opened two store-bought eggs. And I'm, I said, well, what's the difference? And she's like, oh, this one's bigger. This one's more orange. That one looks like it's going to taste better. And then I cooked them <laughs> and I let her taste and it. And it's true, you know, yeah. and it's things like that, educating them and letting them find out for themselves what's better. I think instilling those values in our youth overall is mm -hmm. going to continue to help this change happen, continue mm -hmm. to help those who want the quality, who want to support the local farms and help the communities. If there's a group of us that are into it and then we're feeding that into our youth, we're feeding it into our children and giving them that idea and letting them see the difference and taste the difference. I think by the next few decades, everything starts with ingredients. To yep. me, you know, that's where everything begins. You gotta, you gotta focus how it's done. Sometimes myself and my chef, we, we went and bought three or four different kinds of chickens, different producers, local, this and that. We cooked them the same way. And the one that won, we did the blind tasting, and you would see the, the one that won was like just incredible. Mm -hmm. There's no comparison. Same thing with the eggs. You know, I get my eggs from the Maduro farms where I buy my mushrooms. And that's where the black dirt is in Pine Island mm -hmm. and Florida, Goshen. Everything is fertile there. Vivian, she has 300 chickens, and they're like pets. She would not <laughs> you know, do them for the meat. They're just laying in eggs. The eggs are like bright reddish orange, and there's so much flavor. <coughs> you know, you mm -hmm. cannot buy that in a store. You just cannot. Yep. You know, and, and it's wonderful. Actually, a funny thing is uh, one of the health department inspectors for Dutchess County asked me the other week, to source goose and turkey and pheasant eggs for him because I have my sources and that's mm -hmm. a great compliment and I love that you know I show him what I get sometimes and he loves it he <laughs> said John can you get something this is only a personal nothing to do with that I said of course mm -hmm. and it's fun honestly when the tourists come up here this way to New York you know that is something that you want to really you know like pheasant sausage venison sausage farm eggs how many people had a goose or turkey eggs or, or pheasant egg Pheasant eggs are my favorite. They're small, they're excellent. <laughs> they're little. They're little you know, things. So I this, these say, are experience. Yeah, I mean, you know, how many people have gone? Uh, to me, I love raw milk also. That's my personal, you know. I think it's a great experience. Most people live their life without experiencing Yeah. Well, that was very nice. Thank you guys Thank for joining us. You're very welcome. That was Hugh Piney and John Leckick. They are the owners and operators of La Express Bistro and Bar and Food Truck based in Poughkeepsie, New York. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge.